1: And now he brings you even closer to the movers and shakers in the world of high echelon tournament water skiing. From the founder and creator of the water ski broadcasting company comes the TWBC podcast. And now here's your host, Tony Lightfoot. Well, greetings and salutations to all
0: who have come to listen to this latest episode of the TWBC podcast. I am the aforementioned uh, Tony Lightfoot and uh, have a rather special uh, episode here with a rather uh, special uh, athlete uh, a skier who uh, who, who dominated uh, the uh, the world ranks uh, uh, many many seasons ago and uh, for her achievements uh, she will be honored. Uh, by the Australian Water Ski and Wakeboard Federation as being one of their latest inductees into the Australian Water Ski Hall of Fame. Uh, Her name is Emma Shears. So uh, good day to you there, Emma.
2: Hello, Tony. Thanks for having me.
0: Good, 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 good. It's always always a pleasure to uh, to talk to you whenever the opportunities come around, uh, uh, which which don't come around that that often. Uh, whether it be me not being able to make it down to Australia or or you uh, not uh, not me- being able to make it outside of Australia, which has kind of been complicated a little bit over the last couple of years, wouldn't you say?
2: Oh, it's incredibly complicated here. Um, since twenty twenty, it's been uh, hard for people to even get here to Australia. So Our borders have been locked down for quite a long while and, um, you know, even our state borders, state to state, we haven't been able to travel interstate. So it's uh, been a really tough time for people here in Australia and for families. You know, I have a sister-in-law who's in Switzerland, so we haven't seen her for two and a half years now. So it's, um, yeah, it's incredibly difficult for everyone.
0: Yes, and uh, because it's it's it's... It's a little bit of a tricky situation in Australia because the uh, states themselves have have jurisdiction for the most part. So far as who they let in and who and and, and who they don't. So far as crossing the borders, not so much the federal mm-hmm. government. From as far as I can tell, right?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So our um, our state governments have uh, made the decisions when the lockdowns occur and what happens and. And Queensland, uh, we've pretty much been in lockdown from other states for over 12 months now. And so uh, I've only just reopened the borders in the last few weeks. And so we're having quite a lot of COVID cases here um, in Queensland at the moment. So it's been uh, really, you know, we're probably only getting our very first taste of what what it's been like, because we've pretty much lived with it, with not having it at all here because we've been locked down. So...
0: So yeah, we'll we'll put COVID to one side for a moment because well because I'd like to talk to you about some other stuff uh, in regards to your yeah. skiing career and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, as I mentioned right off the bat, uh, you you're going to be inducted into the Australian Waterski Hall of Fame. That must that must get you giddy with excitement. I'm sure you've prepared a fairly long speech uh, uh, that uh, <laughs> that we won't hear until uh, until about the Moomba Saturday. But uh, how does it feel to be? Uh, uh, be put on to, onto that kind of Hall of Fame pedestal among some of the, uh, the greats of uh, of Australian tournament water skiing.
2: Oh, look! Of course, I'm incredibly honoured. You know, the names that are there um, before me, you know, they are the names that I looked up to all those years ago when I was um, growing up and um, and aspiring to be the best in the world. And so, for them to honour me in that way, I am, you know. I, I feel very privileged. Um, I know that um, not everyone gets to be inducted um, into the Hall of Fame, um, you know. So I'm, I'm very honoured, basically, and I, I'm really looking forward to the night. I think it's a night that, you know, will be great not only for me, but for my family and those who supported me throughout the years.
0: All right then yes and as and as I mentioned it's uh, going to be uh, present uh, you're going to be inducted on the Moomba Saturday which I think it's uh, it, it's it's yeah towards the end of the uh, the tournament itself I think uh, I think a good friend of yours Ryan Green is actually going to be inducted around about the same time how do you how, how do you feel about him uh, him joining you in the same uh, class as it were
2: yeah, I think it's it's lovely and it'll be nice to have one of my friends there being honoured as well. And, um, uh, you know, Amber Wing and her husband as well are being inducted. So to have those people who, you know, I had a fair bit to do with over the years and on the same night, it'll be uh, a lovely evening. And, um, you know, Ryan's been a member of the Australian team for a lot of years and um, and done incredibly well in his career. And it'll be great to be there on the same night
0: and uh both both he and yourself have had long and storied careers uh, let let's try and let's try and go back a little bit uh, some because i think about the first time that i actually uh met you was maybe in about the uh m- the mid uh, mid or uh, late 90s you know when you were traveling a- across and uh, you were, uh I think you were training for like the first time in uh, in Central Florida with uh, with the likes of uh, Scott Ellis. Kind of, kind of take us a little bit back uh, to that experience and what it, what it was like for uh, for for someone fresh out of Australia to be kind of thrust in into that kind of deal, as it were.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, look, it was a bit tricky. I was a seventeen year old when I landed in the US for the first time. Um, and I turned 18 over there. So it was, you know, it was tough. I was young and um, I thought I was going to uh, set the world on fire and, and, you know, it's, it wasn't quite that way. So it's, it took me a good 12 months of, um, of really trying to nut out what it's like to ski in the U S and be on tour every weekend and, um, and the work I needed to put in. And, and I kind of came home a little bit disheartened about how I went that first year and, it went back to the drawing board. I didn't go back the following year, and I took that little bit of time to um, develop my skiing and and develop my training techniques. And then I went back. That's that's following season, and things went quite well from there. So,
0: well, excellent. and and I mean beyond that first season where you were. Where you, where you mentioned you can't kind of little bit little bit of the deer in the headlights type deal with uh, with the pro tour and that kind of scene, kind of kind of give us a, kind of give us a little bit of a sense of what it was to ski professionally back in that time because because it is it is like chalk and cheese compared to what to what a good portion of the skiers have to put themselves through now uh, to uh, to be successful you know in, in the in this day and age.
2: Yeah, look, it's, um, it's incredibly difficult. Like, I think w- we think that it's just about the skiing, but I, th- I learnt very quickly that um, it's about a lot of hard work off the water as well. And, you know, it's mentally preparing yourself. It's um, physically being at your top and not leaving anything um, to chance. If you're not 100% ready to go when you leave that dock, um, it's, very, it's very hard. Those girls were working hard week in week out, and I had to be at the best to be able to compete with them. So you have to be ready for that.
0: So I mean, you're competing against the likes of uh, of Sherry Sloan, weren't you? Uh, around about around about that time, yeah. uh, I mean, she was a yeah. fierce competitor. Uh, who who else was around? Who who else were you competing against at that time? I think Lisa Semino was one of those, or was she uh, working her way yeah, out I as could. you were coming I in? Could.
2: Kim Demasedo, and, you know, Dina was still at the, she was at the back end of her career, but she was still around then. Uh, We had Christy Overton, Tony Neville was there every weekend, um, Britta Llewellyn. We just had some really fierce competitors out there and, um, you know, you had to be ready to go. Those girls were always ready to go on the dock and um, I couldn't sort of leave any stone unturned if I wanted to compete with them.
0: Now, whenever you mention a couple of those names, at least I mean, Akim de Mercedo who, who who came through and became world jump champion. I think what was it in nineteen ninety three or something something like that, and then Sherry Sloan, who herself was a world jump champion. Uh, Tony Neville, absolute legend. And I mean, whenever you mentioned those names, I was like, kind of thinking these women, so far as jump technique was concerned. There were there was there wasn't too much finesse involved back in those days to get distance off that off that five foot ramp, and you were the one, the main proponents to actually get off the five foot ramp and go to one point six five meters. So, yeah. so I mean, my so I mean, my question is, I mean, uh, so so far as jumping technique is concerned, I mean, a lot of a lot of the women now are are, are more of more finessed with their approach do you think jumping has lost a little a little bit of that you know harder harder edge when it, when that's concerned comparing the past era to this one
2: oh look I don't think so I mean you need you need to just look at what some of the girls the girls are going a long way now you know you just need to look at Jacinta that's you know she she definitely has you know, fantastic technique as well as that grit and determination. And it requires both really. So um, I know there's probably that little bit more, you know, you had to kind of throw your body at it a little bit more back then because maybe we didn't know as much. But as my career progressed, you know, technique was incredibly important and, we you know, worked with Ray Stokes for so many years. Um, and he really um, changed, I think, the way jumping jumping. Jumping was and um, and you know developed a great technique that people you know really had to you know had to sort of look at and follow.
0: And and as I mentioned, you were one of the main proponents for jumping at one point six five meters high instead of uh, the five foot ramp. Kind of give us a little bit of an idea of what uh, of of the struggles that were involved. I guess from your perspective, because I mean, you were you're were, you're were above above all else one of the main proponents for getting off that off that small smaller ramp. I mean, what did it take eventually for the IWWF or IWSF to kind of see sense in that regard?
2: Yeah, well, we um, we had a lot of petitions out. You know, we all the girls were supportive of of, of that change. There weren't too many that weren't supportive of that change at the time. Um, so, uh, petitions went out to all the federations and all the skiers and, um, you know, it was fairly unanimous that we, we do change what we do and we spent a lot of time um, giving the research to the IWSF about, you know, from all the different physios and, um, and biomechanical um, yeah, experts to show that we were capable of doing it and that was, they were worried we were going to get a lot more injuries and things so we had to prove that that wasn't going to be the case.
0: Yes, and and I mean, I mean, I didn't know how how far involved that was in terms of actually having to provide documentation that, to show uh, conclusively that 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 women were able to sustain the the harder impacts uh, with uh, with a one point six five uh, me- meter high. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I. I mean, I'm just trying, having a hard time trying to trying to fathom the amount of paperwork that was that was involved. I mean, I mean, what I mean, what did that stack look like of all of that evidence?
2: It looked pretty. It was pretty thick. I still um, I still have the stack because it, it was history, and it was um, you know I have the signatures and I have you know some of that documentation that we went through because it was something that was really important to me, and I felt really strongly that women were really capable of doing this, and I could I felt that we'd been held back for too long. And, you know, I think the combination of the ramp height and the extra speed was it worked really well and it's still working really well to this day and it's allowing, you know, women to really show what they're capable of on the jump ramp and, um, you know, I'm really proud of that effort.
0: Excellent stuff, and uh, and I think the proof in the pudding is uh, is the likes of well, you mentioned Jacinta Carroll a little bit earlier on, but I mean she's just become the first ever person to go over two hundred feet, and uh, and that yeah, probably yeah. prob- probably probably wouldn't have happened were it not for your efforts.
2: Oh, look, I think it would have been incredibly tough. You know, as it is, she's put absolutely everything on the line to be able to do that, and she's worked incredibly hard for a lot of years to be able to do that. So. Yeah, um, I, I'm really, you know, my brother's done a lot of work with her since Ray, Ray passed away and um, and they've worked hard together to, um, to improve her technique and, and get her to a position where she can, um, she could do that. And, uh, you know, it's a real credit to her
0: and I uh, spoke to actually spoke to Jacinta Carroll quite a while back uh, before the uh, the world championships uh, spoke to her during the Malibu Open as a matter of fact and uh, she got really teary eyed whenever we mentioned uh, Ray Stokes and the contributions he made but not only was he someone who had a knack of being able to to take someone from a certain place and elevate them higher technically but he also had that kind of knack to work with equipment as well and I think you know where I'm going with on this one so far as the tips of the jump skis that that kind of bore his name for a while.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so, you know, the Stokes tips were um, kind of revolutionary in our sport. They they changed the way jump skis were. And um, I don't know if you know, but I actually had cut off tails as well. So I was able to ride a much bigger pair of jump skis but that inside rail was smaller so i could still turn them so just all sorts of different things that he came up with and you know he came up with suits that you know were much more aerodynamical and um, helmets that did the same so he was always thinking outside the box it's um you know he just wanted to really improve what he did with his athletes
0: how did it feel like to be a guinea pig for some of that stuff
2: I actually was pretty excited at the time. I probably um I should have been probably more worried about it, but he always made sure everything was pretty safe before we got on it. So um I felt really um really blessed that I got the opportunity to try all those things before everybody else did. So um you know it was an exciting time really.
0: Excellent stuff. So, uh and 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 talk and talk a little bit about ray as a person because i mean we got we got we got a little bit from Jacindra a little bit uh, later on last season but but obviously aside from the fact that he was a a, mat, a just a unique person a one of a kind you the dealt with equipment but he he took a really holistic approach whenever it came to working with skiers such as yourself to get you from one place to the to ultimately the place that you ideally would like to be.
2: Yeah, he worked really hard with us. And, and, you know, he sacrificed a lot of things for us along the way and and helped support us. It was never easy for my mum and dad to be able to afford a lot of coaching. And he really discounted a lot of that for us over the years and he worked really hard to help us as much as he could. And, um, look, he's, he's a great human being, uh, lots of fun and um, – and very funny guy to be around. He always made um, training lots of fun. Um, and I think you know, um, to you know, to he, I probably didn't have as much to do with him towards the end of my career. We moved away from, from, you know, things that he was doing. Um, but he, uh, you know, he had a big influence in my early days, and I appreciate the work that he did with us.
0: All right, then. So, okay, so let's let's continue on a little bit and try to uh try and go in a little bit deeper so far as your career is concerned especially when it came to the yeah. world championships i've what when was your first world title was it, i think it was like 1999 or was it just a little bit beyond that a bit before that no uh,
2: 99 was my uh, was my first senior um world jump championship that i won so um yeah, so I was um, pretty proud of that. That was in Idroscalo in Italy, so um, that was a, pretty nice.
0: You also had a go at the slalom event, didn't you? I mean, I mean, you you were you were pretty rocking it, rocking it on top of the uh, the slalom ski too, right?
2: Yeah, so um, so then in two thousand one, I actually won slalom, and I didn't win jump, so I didn't back up the jump that year. So it was um, it was a, it was interesting, but yeah, two thousand one, and then two thousand three, I won both. So that was kind of um, that was a really proud moment for me <laughs> to be able to to win both at a World Championships was a pretty cool.
0: Kind of taking baby steps, win one in one year, one in the other, and then both on the uh, the third try around, right?
2: I know, I know exactly. So I really the the year that I won my first World Slalom Championship, no one expected me to win that. Obviously, that was you know we had Christy Overton and that there, she was expected to win that, um, and we uh, we had a runoff to um, and for me to win that. So. You know, I was only just developing, probably as a slalom skier, and what people were starting to recognise me as a slalom skier back then. Um, I think it was sheer determination that year that that helped me to win that. So, yeah, so it's incredible to be able to compete with the likes of Christy at that event.
0: All right then, and uh, and and moving right along, I mean, to to the pre uh, to the present day, towards the present day, weren't weren't you one of the few that actually tried ski flying as well?
2: Yeah, well, um, you know, the the guys around me who I skied with all the time, you know, developed ski flying. So my brother had a big influence on that as well. And so I was lucky enough to get to have a play with them and get to learn how to do it to start with. And, you know, I absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. Um, but, you know, it's the same as uh, anything when you start pushing the boundaries with, you know, with that ski flying, it, it was pretty hairy and pretty dangerous at times. But you know what an incredible feeling you know for for me to I think my best jump was two hundred and twenty one feet or something so it's pretty pretty fun to be able to fly out that far over the you know over the water and um and land safely
0: yeah and I think I think play is probably is is, is prob, probably probably <laughs> wouldn't be the word that I would use I mean considering the risks involved I mean because I mean that that boat must have been jacked up to I mean like Forty mile an hour, hundred foot line, no long, yeah. long, longish ramp, and I mean, if if you make one false move, I mean, off the second wake, then you've you've got hardly any time to refuse, right?
2: Yeah, you don't have a lot of time. You got to make very good decisions when you ski fly, and um, everything does happen much quicker. Uh, it's it's about just really making sure you're in a great position when you make your turn and coming into the ramp. And if you if you can do that, uh, it's pretty you know it's it's just fun it's like hold on for dear life and uh, and see
1: what you can make
0: of it <laughs> all right and an and an event that that could almost be classified like that a little bit you know because of the variable conditions that uh, that occur from from year to years the Moomba Masters and i mean you you won how how many how many titles did you win altogether on the Yarra River because i mean I, I i recall that that you were pretty much uh, uh, unstoppable for uh, for several years right
2: yeah, look, Curtis is the one you've got to ask about all the years and, and how many titles. I used to just kind of keep heading in the direction, keep going forward, and I never looked back much. So I'm I'm really bad at remembering how many, but over 10 or 15 probably over the years. And, um, you know, I just love Moomba. It was probably, you know, it's my favourite event because the crowds were incredible. Uh, people were always really supportive of what what I did on the water. And, you know, it, it was always a great event for me to come back to and have fun with. Do any of the
0: years uh, particularly stand out? I mean, was there like a major incident or like or like a, or, or a king tide moving in at, or, any, or anything oh. like that? <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, we had a lot of a lot of that happen. You know, there was those sort of things that would happen every year. There'd be something different that would occur. But when I was in junior member, we, we had quite a few of those sort of king tides coming through and we had all sorts of things like cows floating down the river and mattresses mm. and all sorts of things early in the day. But you know, Melbourne City Council's cleaned it all up a lot more now these days and things are much better. But, um, you know, there was all sorts of interesting things that used to float down the Yarra and you'd have to deal with that along with, you know, wind and changing tides. It was always incredibly challenging.
0: Yeah, and uh, you'll probably be pleased to hear that Moomba is going ahead. Obviously, the uh, the tying with the uh, with the AWWF uh, Hall of Fame is... is- it's gonna go along with Moomba with that with that last Saturday being the induction ceremony, but it, I mean, with COVID in the last couple of seasons, it's made Moomba a a very very diff- difficult proposition for uh, for for any for anyone to fly there, anyone to compete in, you know, because I mean the. I mean there's there's very little guarantees in life, you know, what with with the pandemic going on. I mean it I mean the Victoria State government can can just as soon as snap their fingers and no 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 one's allowed to do anything, you know. So so I mean how how do you feel about that situation going forward?
2: Yeah, look, I think it is a difficult thing for people. Uh we've pretty much been, you know, the government's working really hard and opening the borders now. And when we hit ninety percent, I believe that um our borders are going to be open a lot more for people um, to come in. And, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to that so I can see my sister-in-law. And I think we're not far away from that here in Australia. I think people can be fairly confident now that when they come, it's not going to be the lockdowns that have been of the past. We're, we're learning to live with it all here now a lot better. And um, I'm hoping that we'll get some of the internationals and especially just the other day it was announced that It'll be equal prize money for the women and the men and that's something I petitioned for for a lot of years and, um, and I'm really happy that the girls are finally being recognised in the same way. So uh, I'm really hopeful that the girls will make the trip and you know, we'll get some fantastic competitors out there this year and it'll be you know, Moomba as per usual.
0: Yeah, I was about to ask you along those lines. Thank you, very, thank you very much uh, for, ask it, for asking <laughs> yourself and answering that question. Yes, because Moomba is decided to go with equal prize money, as has been the case for uh, for the likes of the Mastercraft Pro and the Malibu Open, and I think the the Masters at Callaway Gardens have have done that beforehand. So, uh, so kudos to all of those uh, entities involved. You know. Uh, I mean I mean you've 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 been a remarkable athlete and I mean and you've in the last few seasons of of opened up the ski your ski school, you're in Cullum Bay, isn't that right, in, in in Queensland, right?
2: Yeah, we're in Cullum Beach here Koolham in Beach, Queensland. Yeah. So yeah, so we've been, we've actually been open, this is our ninth season now, so we've been here a little while now and, um, you know, we've got an incredible group of kids that we're enjoying coaching these days, my husband Rick and I, and um, it's um, it's really rewarding for us being able to see that next generation of skiers come through and do really well and, and my son's um, going well and enjoying his skiing as well, so I think for us it's just um, about seeing the next generation do well and passing on the knowledge that we learnt over all those years
0: Yes, and I mean, uh, I mean, what, what's what's been the major challenges? I mean, I mean, you're about you, you're almost going to celebrate a decade of being in business at a at a ski school, and I mean, there there are several challenges involved, you know, health and safety and all of that, and it's been complicated by by COVID nineteen, you know. So, kind of give us an idea of 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 what of what challenges you've had to face and uh, what, what you've had to succumb in order to, to keep your, uh, your facility going for as long as it has.
2: Well, I don't know if you've got a couple of hours, Tony, but that's <laughs> um, you know that's kind of what it's ours has been an incredible journey, and it's um, it's been over you know twenty year journey to be honest. It took us at least um, almost fifteen years from the time we started to acquire this property to the time we actually were able to step foot on it and start working here. So, uh, it's been a really long process. One I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have done had i known how much hard work it was going to be but we're here now and we have an incredible place and um you know we we run a a cafe here we've got an aqua park here we have a gym here and we also have the skiing so we supplement you know the skiing with those other things as well which you know that our skiing is our passion and the other things help keep it running as well so um you know it's it's been tough we've had to do water tests and noise tests and uh, environmental tests and you name it—we've had to provide the documentation here in Australia. You've got to jump through a lot of red tape and a lot of hoops, and so Here's hoop. we did jump all of that. Yeah. yeah, we've jumped through everyone. Actually, there hasn't been too many we haven't had to. So, um, running your own water ski lake is um, is not the easiest thing to do. It's a really tough thing. Um, it's very rewarding, but at the same time, uh, trying to to do the work we've done to be here is probably a little bit crazy.
0: <laughs> uh, I can, I can, I can imagine. I mean, I mean, it's basically the same anywhere in the world. You, you try, you, you want to set up your own business, then you got to go through all the re- regulatory stuff, health and safety. Lord know, Lord knows yeah. what else. And kudos for you for actually uh, for keeping up the fight and uh, for uh, mm-hmm. for keep for keeping going. But. Uh, as as we begin to wrap up uh, this podcast, of uh, which I thank you very much uh, for for spending a little bit of time with, uh, what with the time dist- difference and everything, it kind of complicates matters, but we're able to uh, to get this done. Obviously, one of the major news stories that uh, that that's occurring right now in Australia around about the time that I'm talking talking to you is that whole Novak Djokovic thing that whole de- that whole 11-day debacle whether whether he was coming in he was out he was in and then he was eventually given the heave ho uh i mean i mean there are there are a lot of people that will view this in a lot of different ways from uh, from being a sports person to someone who's more concerned about health and safety but do you, do you honestly feel that cooler heads have prevailed and the right decision was was made uh, in light of, light of the evidence that was uh, presented and uh, was ultimately given?
1: Oh,
2: look, I think um, it's been an incredibly tough time for Australians. We've had to follow lots of different rules and regulations to be able to visit our families, um, and one of them is being vaccinated, fully vaccinated, and the other one is, um, is being, you know, you know, able to, um, you know, you need to have a proper medical exemption, which um, it's really proved that he he didn't follow those things. Um, Australia, yeah, he hasn't ticked the right box on his declaration. He had been travelling in other places. He was not being quite truthful about what he was here, you know, all the things that he was here to do. And so I think as Australians, when we've been through such a tough time, we expect people to follow the rules because we've had to follow them for such a long time. So we don't feel that people can just come in when they're not following the rules as well. And so I think that's pretty much what our country is, um, is feeling like right now. And, um, you know, I know he's been made an example of, but, um, I think, uh, rightfully so, to be honest. So yes, (laughs)
0: So he so uh, he tried. <laughs> looks like we got go another, it looks like we got another guester uh, almost about to make an appearance. So uh, so from uh, from Novak Djokovic. I mean, obviously, it seemed on the four of day that he was just trying to chance his luck and hopefully, uh, ho- hopefully go through. But uh, uh, obviously, that didn't go the case now. A lot of people, especially within the sporting realm, have been a little bit hesitant to actually have a vaccination because they don't they don't know everything that's in it or whether whether it would have a detrimental effect upon their sporting performance. Do you do you do you subscribe to that or uh, or, or are you of or are you someone of the persuasion that, you know, for the sake of the of the greater good, you have it. You have to have it really.
2: Well, I think as, as far as I'm concerned, I'm I'm triple vaccinated. So I'm very much in support of the vaccination. Uh, we feel like we can't get back to any sort of normality unless people are vaccinated here. And uh, I feel like, you know, our hospitals have done it incredibly tough and our medical staff. And I feel, you know, to be able to support them in that, in what they're doing and, and trying to keep us all safe that we need to be vaccinated as a bare minimum and then you know, hopefully uh, we can get on top of this and get back to some sort of normal life, and and they won't have the strain that they've had. So that's that's where I come from, and um and I'm I'm fairly strong. I feel have strong views about that, I guess. <laughs>
0: All right, then. So and uh, I think we'll put that subject to bed. And we'll also put uh, this episode of the TWBC podcast to bed as well. But typically what I ask of, uh, of those that I interview at the end is if they have anyone to thank or to acknowledge. So I'll give you a little bit of time to do that. And then we'll wrap it up from there.
2: Thanks, Tony. Um, I just, um, you know, I thank my family for the hard work and effort they've put in um, over the years. And um, my husband, Rick, who's um, sacrificed a lot for me as well to um, get me to the levels that I got to. Uh, And, you know, I just want to thank people like uh, Brenda Baldwin, who was a fierce competitor of mine, but uh, also housed me in the States for, you know, 15 years of my career. So uh, I'm really grateful to those people who had a lot to do with my career and, um, you know, so many people and so hard to thank. But it's, um, you know, but I am very grateful at the end of the day and um, looking forward to celebrating with them all at Moomba.
0: Indeed, and I'll be looking forward to hearing that speech and that presentation uh, when, it, uh, when the video and the coverage uh, becomes available. Thank you very much. Uh, that was Emma Shears. I'm Tony Lightfoot. This has been the latest edition of the TWBC podcast. And until next time, it is ciao for now.